Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. church family. Great to see you today, and I love uh, as we stop and sing those kind of songs to just to stop and remember, we do have a lot to rejoice and give thanks and praise to the Lord about, don't we? Uh, very easy to kind of get stuck in our routine of life and to, and to miss those things, um, but very blessed to be able to have time to stop and reflect on that. And that's really one of my favorite parts of this AIM series. As Rance talked about, this is the second sermon in this series of what are we aiming at as a church? And now, primarily, when we think about what we're aiming at, we are looking ahead, right? We are thinking about what does God have for us in the year to come, and how do we continue to carry out the vision that He's given to us? Um, but it's also really important as we come to these, this series every year to just stop and just to think about all that God has done in this past year. And as a church family, we have a lot to give thanks and praise uh, for, for what God has done this last year. A lot of changes He's brought about in a lot of lives this year. A lot, of, a lot of new folks that are now worshiping with us, a lot of folks that we got to send out, a lot of folks who have experienced changes, uh, and one of the things we rejoice greatly in is a lot of individuals whose lives have taken really large steps uh, this year in their pursuit of the Lord. So very thankful for that um, time to just stop and reflect on that. So if you're new here, uh, we love, we're excited that you get to be with us during our AIM series. We want you to be very clear on what it is we're aiming at as a church, um, because we want you to partner with us in this AIM. And so if you are thinking about being a part of this church, or just maybe you're new here, we want you to know this is what we're about. This is what drives everything that we do as a church. We want to be really clear on that reality. And if you've been with us for a while, maybe you have heard this year after year after year, we still want you to keep hearing it. We want to keep reminding each other that this is what we're about because it's very easy to get distracted from that. It's very easy to forget it. It's very easy to just start to just have that be something that we say a lot and not something that really just drives us with passion every day. And so even for those of us who teach this and think about this all throughout the year, I love the vision series because every time we go over these same topics time and time again, we are learning more about how to do this better. God has continued to teach us more and more of what it means to carry out the vision that he has given to his church. So hopefully this isn't just repetitive to you, but something that we can rejoice in as we look forward to learning more about this together. So uh, to start out this morning, a few weeks ago, I had a chance to go to the tour championship down in Atlanta. Georgia. Uh, we got to go watch these golfers with some guys from church. And uh, for those of you maybe not golf fans, the Tour Championship is a really fun thing. The top 30 golfers in the PGA Tour come together for this tournament. And they compete over four days for $18 million purse, right? Pretty big tournament, right? Pretty, you know, worth getting up and playing some golf for. But what's really unique and fun about this tournament is when you go down there and watch it, you get to be so close to the players, I mean, literally, you can see this picture here. Here's Isaiah getting ready to fist bump one. Isaiah found the perfect spot. He found this spot where they'd come around this corner. So like every golfer, Isaiah's just there and he's getting them, right? So here's the top golfers in the world. And Isaiah's there just bumping fists with them, right? I'm watching these top golfers in the world throughout the day. I'm watching them take these shots that are just incredible, right? You watch four guys and all their balls land within about this big of an area of each other. And you get to watch these guys as they deal with the mental pressure of that, right? It's one thing to be able to take a golf shot, but when you know 
this shot is going to determine how much of an $18 million pool I get. That, that's pressure I've not really had to deal with often in my life, right? But you watch these guys, they make bad shots, they screw up, and yet they're so mentally focused that they're still just on track. They don't lose it, they just stay focused. And it was a really fun day just to watch these golfers play. But there was a very, very disappointing thing about this event. You want to know what that was? Not a single one of these golfers asked me anything about my golf game. Not a single one of them seemed to show any concern about my handicap. They didn't ask how they could help me. They didn't offer me any swing tips. They did nothing to improve my game. So even though I watched these golfers all day, we got to be really close to these golfers. At the end of the day, I still stink at golf. That was very disappointing. You know, so when you're following somebody, maybe you can watch these guys hit. Maybe you can pick up a little bit about their game. Maybe you can, you can find a little change to, to go home and implement. But it's very different if one of these guys was to come up to me and says, you know what, my aim for the next four days is to help you be a better golfer. I'm pretty convinced that they could probably teach me something in those four days that would improve my golf game. And yet that was not their aim at all. They weren't concerned about that. That probably never even crossed their mind. Their aim was to compete at the highest level that they could. They were not concerned about me. You know, when Jesus offered this invitation to say, follow me, it was a very different kind of invitation. Because Jesus' invitation came with this next phrase, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, in Jesus's invitation to follow, he was saying, when you follow me, you become my aim. You become the thing I am most concerned about. You become my focus. You become my, I'm giving my attention to you. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said after this saying, follow me and I will amaze you. Follow me and you will get to see things that you would never believe in your wildest dreams would be possible. That would have been a true statement. He, said, he could have said, follow me and I will feed you and miraculously provide for you and care for you. I will, I will raise to life those, uh, some of your friends. I will bring healing to some of your relatives. That would have been a very amazing thing to say. He could have said, follow me and you will become one of the most famous people in all of history. Most people can name some of the disciples at least. Jesus could have, could have thrown that out as the meaning of following him. And yet instead what Jesus said was, follow me and I will make you. See, Jesus was very clear that if you follow me, I have an aim for you. I'm not following you for myself. I don't want you to follow me for what I get out of this. I want you to follow me because now I have the opportunity to put my focus and my attention on you. And my focus and my attention is going to be directed at this thing right here. I want to make you something that you're currently not. So Jesus had this heart, and this was what he was aiming at, to bring transformation to those who followed him. Now, transformation and change, those are things we're really not really thrilled about. We love the idea of following Jesus. I loved following these golfers around. They're entertaining. They're fun. It's enjoyable experience. And yet, when Jesus adds this aim, he's, he's adding it in such a way that says, you know what? This following is going to bring some uncomfortable moments for you. It is going to bring with it some challenges that you are not probably going to be thrilled about, but this is what I'm going to aim at, and this is what I'm going to continue to aim at with every ounce of my being. 
So this morning, as we flesh this out, and we're, we're, we're breaking this verse into three-week sermons, follow me, it was week one, I will make you is this week, and the next week will be this idea of what does it mean to be a fisher of men. So today, we're going to look at this idea, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, who is being changed and transformed by Him? So let me pray, and then we will jump into the study together. Father, I thank you so much for this radical reality, God, that you not only offered us to follow you and to model our lives after you, but God, you are giving your attention and your focus on bringing about the change that you desire to see in us. Father, may that reality just grip our hearts that, God, you care so much about each of us as individuals that you are investing yourself in our transformation. Father, we thank you for that reality. Even though it may be difficult at times and painful, Father, I pray that you would help us to see it is good. Lord, I pray for every person here. I'm thankful that we have the chance to study your word together. I pray, God, that you would challenge all of us to be a part of your path of being transformed into what it is that you are trying to make us to be. So give us the courage to pursue being changed. Give us the faith to trust that you are good in your efforts to change us. And I pray the Holy Spirit would freely speak to us this morning as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to break down this little phrase and just kind of make some observations as we think about what does it mean when Jesus says, I will make you. So he starts out with this idea, I. I will make you. So from the very beginning, we see who is the one who's ultimately responsible for this work of transformation. It's Jesus. Right? As much as we can help one another in the process of changing, God alone is the one who brings change to people's lives. There is nothing as an individual that I can do that can bring that kind of eternal change to you. Now, when I allow God to work through me, now all of a sudden, I can be a part of that process. But we have to remember, at the end of the day, God is the one who makes disciples of Jesus Christ. God is the one who grows people in this process of transformation. It is God's word and God's model alone that can help us to live the life he's calling us to live. But that doesn't diminish our part in this process. Because today, Jesus is not here walking among us. Jesus isn't speaking to individuals here on earth in the same audible way that he once did. Instead, he is inviting all of us to be his instruments through whom he brings this change. And here's this incredible partnership that God is offering us to be a part of. Yes, we humbly recognize all change that comes about in people's lives. All good things that are happening at this church are happening because God is bringing them about. But God is offering us the opportunity to be the hands and the feet and the instruments that he uses to bring that change about. Now, we don't want to, mis- we don't want to misinterpret that. We don't, want to, we don't want to overemphasize our part, and we don't want to forget God's part. But God says, when we put these two things together, when you become the instrument who brings my word to people, that can bring about change that only God is capable of doing. So Jesus is saying, I am committed to this process. As he's talking to these disciples, he's calling, he says, I will bring this change about in you. No one else, I'm taking ownership of this. This is, this is now what I'm seeing as my responsibility and my task. And this is still true today. But God does choose people in that process who are willing to follow. Do you see that? When he says, I will make you, he didn't say that to everyone in earth at that time. Instead, he chose to say it to those who were willing to first follow him. But to all of those who are willing to follow him, he says, I am investing myself in you. You are my priority and you are my focus. Now, it's amazing for us to think about when you think about how many 
millions of people in this world are following Jesus today, he still carries this same focus. I will focus on that individual. I'm committed to that individual. So Jesus is saying here, he's taking ownership of this process. And we want to praise him and thank him for the work that he's doing in our lives and in the lives of those around you. The next word we see is this idea of will. You know, Jesus didn't say, I might do it. If I feel like it, if you, if, you, if, you, if you are worthy of that, no, he said, this is something I am going to do. This is the focus that I'm going to aim at. See, Jesus is very clear. He doesn't, Jesus is not wishy-washy in his aim or his focus. He says, if you follow me, this is the objective that I have for you. I will do this. This is what I'm going to stay committed to. And so this is not something that we have to wonder. Does he still want to do that in our lives today? Is he still as committed to that process in our lives as he was 2,000 years ago? Absolutely. This is still what he is about. This is still the aim he has for you. But this idea of will also kind of carries this future progressive idea, right? He didn't say, since you follow me, I have now made you into everything you could ever be. No, instead he says, I am going to do this. I'm going to do this in a progressive way. I'm going to do this in a continuous way. And so as we think about the spiritual growth, again, this is something we emphasize a lot, that this growth is a process. Being transformed to the depth that God is talking about does not come quickly. And so when we think about the people in our lives, and even when we think about ourselves, sometimes we can be very hard on ourselves. How do I not get this yet? Why do I keep screwing up in these ways? Why am I not to this point of maturity I think I should be at? Remember, God is committed to this process, and He is continuing to work towards this goal, but it does take time. Transformation is not fast. We are people who have patterns of thinking and patterns of living that go back decades of our lives. That is not going to change overnight most of the time. But what we can be assured of is while this process may take a while and it unfolds gradually over time, God is still committed and focused on this objective. He says, I will do this. Now, this third idea is kind of the main idea here. I will make you. This is the heart of the aim. What does it mean when Jesus says, I will make you? He's saying, I'm going to take you from where you are right now, and I'm going to make you into something that you are not yet. Right? So Jesus, before he ever began working with this disciple, these disciples, he had the end in mind. He knew the place he wanted to bring them to. He knew the things he wanted to teach them. He knew the changes he wanted to see in their lives before he ever began this process. And now as we think about as a church, this is really important for us. What is it that we are seeking to make people into? What are we trying to transform people into? Because that can be a very that can be used in actually very dangerous and damaging ways. We've seen throughout history a lot of times when people invest their lives into someone else and they make them into something that is not God-honoring disciples of Jesus Christ. And so before we ever start this process, Jesus knows, I already know what I'm working to making you to be. And he says that at the next phrase, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. I'm going to take you from what you are right now, a self-centered fisher of fish, and I'm going to transform you into a God-centered fisher of men. He had the vision in mind. He says, I will make you into this. And this last word, I will make you. This is a very personal calling that Jesus is offering. Again, here he's just speaking to a few disciples at a time, but he looks at those individuals and he says, I have a plan for you. 
And this is why, as we talk about this a lot, when we talk about the idea of discipleship, it's not something we can put into a program and just funnel people through this program, and all of a sudden, what kicks out is this disciple of Jesus. Why does that not work? Because every person in this room is unique and different. Every person in this room has very different backgrounds and experiences and hurts and heartaches. And if we think we can make disciples of every person in the same way, we are going to miserably fail. Making disciples of Jesus takes every ounce of creativity we have. It takes complete reliance on the Holy Spirit because we, because every person is going to grow and develop and change in different ways. And so what maybe really spoke to somebody else is not going to make any impact on your life. But the beauty of this calling here for Jesus, he says, I'm going to focus on you as an individual. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to think about you. And I'm going to say, how do I make this person into what it is I want them to become. And so this process is very personal. It's very uh, dedicated. It's very focused. And so no program can adequately do this because every journey is different. So Jesus here, he's taking so much ownership here as he's inviting these men to follow him because it says, this is what I want to do in your life. So when you look at the aim of our church, we're getting this directly from what Jesus just said. As the body of Christ, our aim is to make disciples who love and live like Jesus. Do you see that? We are taking this same principle and we are saying we want to do the same thing Jesus did. Jesus said, I have a goal of making you into something else. And we are saying we are trying to be a body of people who walk together and help one another become what God wants us to become. Now, there may be people who, who are at different stages of this maturity, but all of us are walking together on this journey. It's not like there are some people in this room who don't need to be made into something new or different or more. God is moving every one of us along this journey of discipleship, and he's asking us to do that as a body together. So he wants us to encourage one another in this process of becoming what we are not yet to be. So as we think about this idea, I want to spend our next few minutes fleshing out what does it mean to be transformed? What does it mean to be made into something that we are not yet, okay? Because that seems like a very vague thing. As you think about that, you say, well, I mean, if God is trying to make you into a disciple of Jesus, what is he trying to do in your life? How do you actually know what he's trying to work on? How do, I, how do you partner with him in what he's actually trying to do in your life? Because the idea of changing and being transformed can seem so broad and vague, but the Bible is actually pretty clear on saying this is, these are the things that I'm aiming at in your life. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to uh, open your Bible there, you can. We're going to look at a good chunk of that chapter so it may be easier for you to see it. I will have, have it up here if you'd rather. But I want to give you a little background before we start. 1 Peter is a book that's written to a group of really hurting people. It was written to a group of believers who, who were being so persecuted that they were forced out of their homeland. They had to leave their background, their families, their homes, their work, everything that they knew and were comfortable with, and they had to scatter because their faith in Christ was going to cost them their life, all right? This is a hard circumstance. So now these people go out, and they're living in an environment where nobody cares about their faith. Nobody respects them for their faith. Nobody is encouraging their faith. Instead, the world continues to, to punish and to, uh, to persecute them because of their faith. And so here, Peter is writing to this group, and he's writing to encourage them, what are you supposed to do in a situation like that? How do you live in such a way that not only you just survive, but how do you live such a radically transformed life that this broken culture around you actually sees the beauty of God and wants to follow Him? 
Now, if we step back and think, you know, that there's a lot of parallels to the world that we're in right now. We're not facing persecution in the way that this audience was, but we are facing a world who does not want to hear the truth and the message of Jesus Christ. We are facing a world who has shut off God's truth as being absolute, and they're looking for truth in all other places. So how would God have us to live in such a place as that? He's not just going to give us advice on how to kind of make it through or just just stumble along. No, He's going to give us advice that transforms us to such a depth that it impacts the culture and the world around us. That's what 1 Peter 1 is going to teach us. And we're going to see three different ways that God is asking us to be transformed as disciples of Jesus. So I'm going to start out in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." So now let's back up and look in here. We see three different ways or means that God is looking to transform every one of us in this process. And again, transformation is not something that just happens and you're done, but God is continually trying to change us and transform us in all three of these areas until the day that we die. Okay, it's a never-ending process. So let's go back. How does this start? Notice how verse 13 starts. Therefore, Now, if you've ever studied the Bible or if you've been in kind of our how-do-you-read-the-Bible type classes, the word therefore is like a trigger word, right? And you see this little phrase, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, what's it there for, right? Very creative. So when you get to 1 Peter 1, we are jumping right into the middle of a letter. And we're jumping in at a part that is pointing back to everything he just talked about in the previous 12 verses. Now, we don't have time to go dig all that out, but the the big idea of those first 12 verses, he's starting out in his encouragement to this church by saying, don't forget the radical beauty of God's grace. Don't forget how amazing it is that Jesus Christ came and died and bled for you so that you could experience salvation and a reconciled relationship to him. Don't forget that there is waiting for you this future inheritance for all who believe in Christ. So we no longer have to fear death and fear all that hell means, but we can look forward with anticipation to the beauty of all that God has promised to us. That's the first 12 verses. A very encouraging, motivating, look ahead, remember the beauty of the gospel. And so before we go into this idea of what does it mean to be transformed as a disciple, we remember this always starts and is rooted in our understanding of the power and the beauty of the gospel in our lives. Rance talked about this last week. If we don't understand the gospel message, if we're not confident in our salvation, if we don't understand what it means to place our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, everything that's about to be said really is not going to make sense or be possible in our lives. But when we have that as our background, we have a growing understanding of that, now we can move to verse 13 and say, okay, what is it he's actually asking of us? What does it mean to be transformed by the reality of the power of the gospel? And so the first way we see that God is calling us to be transformed, He's calling us to be transformed in our thinking. So the first part of verse 13, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. 
Now, I use the ESV translation because it just makes a little bit more sense to us. If, if, you, if you have like the King James or New King James, there's this funny phrase there, gird up the loins of your mind. And you read that, and that is probably not a phrase you've used with anyone this week. How are you girding the loins of your mind, my brother and sister, right? But it is a really neat word picture. You know, if you remember how people dressed in the first century, they kind of had those robes on, right? And I've never worn like a dress but I'd imagine if you had to run in one of those bad boys, it would be a little tricky, right? You see, I mean, you see like women trying to walk even in like prom dresses. It's like a hard, it's like a thing, right? You got to shuffle. And so what he's saying here is this idea of girding up something. This idea of these guys would reach down, they'd take that dress and they'd pull it up here and they'd tie it up. So now you're free to move, right? Now you can bend your legs. You can actually move. You can run. You're prepared. Because if you're going to go into a battle or something, you don't want to be restricted in your ability to walk. So that's kind of what he's saying here. We may say like the phrase that would make sense for us today is kind of roll up your sleeves, right? If you're getting ready to do a dirty job, you're going to roll your sleeves up and get ready for that job. So he's saying here, he's encouraging this church, remember in light of the reality of the gospel, prepare your minds for action. Get yourself ready. Well, what are, why do we have to prepare our minds? Because every day we are facing a battle for our thinking, we are facing a war over the way that we think, right? Every single one of us has different ways that we think about the world, right? We call this a worldview. How do you view the world around you? And these are ways that we think about the really primary issues of life. What is ultimately real? Where did this earth come from? What does it mean to be human and male and female? What does it mean to live in relationship with others? What is right and wrong? And what is true and false? And in light of all those questions, maybe the most important one, how now should I live? Right? These are fundamental questions that guide every person in this world. Everyone in this world has a worldview that answers these questions and guides the way that they live. Now, our, our thinking is going to be radically different. And so he's saying here, we want to have minds that are being transformed by the Word of God. We want to have minds that are becoming more and more changed because of God's truth, not the other truths that this world offers to us. These are a really important thing. So gird up, prepare for battle, because the world is going to fight you in the way that you think. So to give an example of this, there's a very silly example. When I grew up, I never ate meat that had any kind of pink in it, right? Because I was led to believe, I won't say names because, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody, but I was led to believe by people in my life who I trust that if you eat pink meat, you're probably going to get really sick and get, you're just, it's going to be nasty. So I ate steak just burnt well done for the first years of my life. And I just wondered, how does anyone like this stuff? It is terrible. And then I got married, and I got exposed to my father-in-law. He was a man who owned a grocery store for a number of years, and so he knew how to cut meat. They had a deli. He knew what was safe. And he said, I'm going to make you a steak, and I want you just to eat it. All right? Well, this is my new father-in-law. You really can't argue with that. So, okay. Now, I'm fully believing. I know what Mama said, and I'm about to get sick. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> See, but I had in that moment to choose, okay, I can't disappoint the father-in-law. I got to try this. And so I ate that pink meat. And you know what? My thinking changed real fast. <laughs> this stuff is good. I see why people enjoy this. And I didn't even die, right? You see, but I, I had this way of thinking in my mind that was as real to me as anything. 
just that was that was so concrete in my life. There was no room to question that. This is a reality from someone I trusted. I'm never going to step outside of this reality until I got exposed to a new kind of truth. And when I got exposed to this new truth, all of a sudden something that I believed and held to was kind of challenged, and now I was forced to make a decision. What is actually real? Will I be okay? Now, we can do this with silly things like the food that we eat, but what happens when this becomes really real things in our life? What if we were always taught to relate to other people based on the models that we saw previously? We thought anger, guilt, manipulation was the way we were supposed to relate to one another. That's the only truth we knew. Maybe physically controlling other people is the only truth we were ever exposed to, and we just thought that was normal. Well, how's that person going to live? They're going to live in light of what is normal and true and real to them. And so what does God want in His disciples who are being transformed in their thinking? He wants them to be exposed to a new kind of truth. He wants them to be exposed to a truth that says this is not how we should relate and treat one another. We should live and treat and love one another in this way. And all of a sudden, we are exposed to these truths that challenge how we view the world. We have to make a decision. What am I going to do with this? And that brings us to this other idea of what does it mean to be sober-minded? It means to think carefully, to be disciplined in our thinking. Because in that moment when the truth that we've always held to is now being challenged by this new truth, we have to think very carefully. What do I want to do? Because the same thing can be happening. Maybe you have a Christian worldview and you have held to godly truths your whole life. Well, now you go off to college and all of a sudden you, things that you thought were very clear are very challenged and you don't really know what to do anymore. All of a sudden, you have these two conflicting truths, and you don't know which one is real and right. And so God is offering us here, this is what it means to be transformed. Be transformed in your thinking. So as a church, well, let me give you this example first. Do you remember how Jesus often spoke in the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard it said, but I say to you. You see this? This is how Jesus modeled this for his disciples. Guys, you have always heard this is what life is like. You have heard this is what a relationship with me is like. But I'm now telling you this. These disciples were focused in that moment. They had a decision. Do I keep following this man who's challenging my thinking or do I run away? So as a church, how do we do this? How do we help transform one another in our thinking? We do that by continually exposing one another to the truth of God's word. Because we want to be people who fully, as much as we can, understand what God says is true and live in light of that. But we need one another in this process. Because it's very easy for us to fall back into our old ways of thinking. It's very easy for us to be comfortable with what we think that we know, and all of a sudden we stop exposing ourselves to the truth of God's Word. And so we need one another. And so there's a lot of ways as a church we aim to do this. We aim to do this through life groups and small groups. And, and, and one way that we do this is just outside, like Rance talked about last week, as we are interacting with one another. But we have the opportunity to expose one another to God's truth so that our thinking is transformed over time. Now, this is something that all of us can do. As a parent, you get to do this every day in the thinking of your children. Teachers at school, you get to do this with your students. Construction workers, you get to do this on the job sites. This is not something that just a few, of, few people get to be a part of, but every relationship we have is an opportunity for us to help transform the thinking of those that we're interacting with. And we do that in a very simple way. 
We bring God's Word into the conversation. Now, we can do that formally in a Sunday school class where open up your Bible to this, and I'm going to expose you to this truth. But we can also do that very informally when somebody says, can you imagine, can you believe how my wife's treating me today? In that moment, you've got a choice. Do you want to just help that person feel good about themselves and, and, and send them on their way on their pity party? Or do you actually want to expose them to truth that says, you know what, the real question is, how are you responding to her no matter how she's treating you? That's how we expose one another to truth. That's how we move together in being transformed as disciples of Jesus. Well, verse 13 goes on, this next point. And set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we think of this idea of hope. We are really looking at something that you are either anticipating, something you're expecting, something you are longing for. Really, we could summarize that in this idea of your desires. God is asking us, be transformed in your desires. So not only does He want to change the way we think, He wants to change the things that just drive us and motivate us. So here, Peter is encouraging these people to set your minds, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in this future time. So as we think about being transformed in our desires, it's really getting to this question of, am I living more for my current situation or am I living more for this future reality? You see, as we become transformed in our thinking, we start to see history as God sees it. God says He's the one that started the world, He's the one that sustains the world, and He's the one that's ultimately going to judge the world. Now, if I believe that to be true, all of a sudden my desires can begin to shift. Because if that's really going to happen, I want to be prepared for that day. And so the more we start to pursue the Lord, all of a sudden that desire to be ready for that future times becomes stronger than the desire for my current comfort. Now, there's a lot of ways that we fight this, and that's why you see this idea, set your hope fully on the grace, right? It's very easy to set our hope partly on this future grace and partly on my current comfort, and yet God is saying, no, the transformation I am after is a full, complete change of your desires. It doesn't mean you can't desire good things on this earth or things that bring you joy on this earth, but it is saying don't let those things become ultimate things. Very similar to this whole discussion we've had about the wisdom for money over the last few weeks. So he's challenging them, set your desire on something that is to come. Now, if you remember, these believers here were facing persecution. They were facing tremendous hardship. In that moment, when, when, when it would be so natural for them to seek their own comfort or security, he says, no, continue to set your mind on what's ahead and live in light of that greater reality. So how does Jesus encourage, how do we see Jesus doing this for his disciples? One example is Luke chapter 9. He says this, and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Why in the world would someone choose to deny yourself? Why would we ever deny ourselves of something that we think would bring us pleasure? Well, the reality is the only reason we ever deny ourselves is if the desired outcome is greater than our desire for the immediate thing. Do you see that? Only in this verse, he says, if you want to come after me, this is what you have to do. So he's saying, if your desire to come after me is greater than your desire for yourself then you can follow me. 
But if your desire for yourself is not strong enough to lead you to deny yourself, you're never going to leave and follow Him. You see this? We all have an ultimate desire in our life. There is some desire that we have that is driving every decision we are making. We may not realize it, we may not verbalize it, but there is something that's driving the decisions that we're making. Our lives are driven by our desires. What is the desire that's driving your life? And so he's saying, I want to transform your desire so that your desire to please me and to be ready for that future hope is greater than anything that this world can offer you. Now, when we live with that kind of a desire, we are ready to follow God through really hard things in life. This past year and even these past weeks, God has asked some of you to do really hard things in following Him. And you've had to wrestle with this decision. Am I willing to walk through and deal with this really hard stuff? And we have the joy of watching some of you wrestle with that question and say, yes, I'm going to walk through whatever I have to walk through because my greatest desire is to please the Lord. If that is your desire, you will face whatever comes your way. But if there's a desire that's ultimate in your life above that, this pursuit of the Lord will start to teeter off. So as a church, how do we help one another? How do we, how do we encourage one another towards this greater desire? I love Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. How do we help one another change our desires? How do we encourage one another to be transformed in the things that we desire most? It's when, when we speak about God in such a way that presents Him as in all of His goodness. When we talk about God in a way that, that makes him, him, him majestic and glorious and good, people are in, drawn into Him. People want to be a part of that. He becomes a deeper, greater desire in their life. But when we don't speak of God that way and we don't live like that's the reality in our life, we are not helping one another to be transformed in our desires. It's one of the greatest joys we have as a church is to help one another remember when life feels hard, when you feel discouraged, remember the goodness of the Lord. Don't lose sight of who God is. Blessed is the one who trusts in Him even when it becomes difficult. We desperately need one another for this because we all face times in life where we just feel crushed. And we feel discouraged and we start to doubt and question God's goodness. But we need to be there for one another. To come alongside and say, brother or sister, God is Good. Remember Him. Make Him your desire. The third way we see being transformed from this letter is in verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, when we think of being transformed, this is most often the first thing that comes to our mind. Am I sinning less and am I doing more good stuff? And yes, that is a part of being transformed. But do you recognize where this comes in this progressive list? This comes third. This comes after a change in thinking. This comes after a change in desire. When you have a new way of thinking and your desires are changing, do you know what happens? You start to obey God in the way that you live. But if you try to skip these first two steps and say, I don't really want to change how I think, I don't really have this desire. I'm just going to try to do what God wants me to do. It is never going to last in your life because that is a burden. That is legalism. That is following the law. But grace says, no, I'm going to transform your desires so that obeying me and following me becomes your greatest joy. And so look at how he talks about obedience. 
as obedient children. Think of how children just mimic their parents for the funny things, the good things, and the not exciting things. Kids pick up on what they see in their parents. And so he's saying here, what is the model that we are being called to when it comes to our obedience? We are following the one who says, be holy for I am holy. So as obedient children, now look at how he talks about obedience. There's a negative way and a positive way. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This is the knock it off side of obedience, right? It's saying when we are being progressively transformed in our obedience, we recognize those sinful things that used to have such a stronghold over us, we are beginning to see some victory in those areas. That transformation is really exciting. When we see, you know what, I am not responding the ways that I used to respond. This is exciting. But notice how he talks about those former sinful things. The passions of your former ignorance. Do you see that? He's tying this again. You know the reason we live in stupid ways? Because you think in those same foolish ways. When you are thinking in foolish ways, you're going to live in foolish ways. So don't give in to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. So here is this intentional way of obedience. Not only just stop doing this stuff over here that you need to let go of, but also start living with this intentionality of saying, I want to live with the same holiness that my God does. I want to serve others in the same way that I saw Jesus serving. I want to love others with the same self-sacrificial way. I want to live a set-apart life so that the world sees Jesus in me. That's a deep level of transformation. So how do we as a church do this? Well, ultimately, one of the primary ways this happens is through relationships. If you want to be transformed in your obedience, if you're not willing to share your struggles with somebody else, it's very unlikely that you're actually going to overcome them. And so as a church, how do we help one another put to death these former passions that we are still acting in in our ignorance? We do that by finding people that we trust and people who we can be vulnerable with. People who are willing to bring God's word to the reality of our situation and with grace and truth help us to walk through the struggles that we are facing. Don't try to follow this and be transformed under your own strength or by yourself. It will not happen. So as a church, one of the primary ways we do this is through relationships. We try to connect you through life groups. There's a plug for you. Again, if you want to be a part of a life group, we really would love for you to sign up for that today. The purpose of those groups is is to help you build relationships so that you can find people that you trust, people that you would be open to sharing some difficult struggles with so that we could see this kind of transformation that God desires for all of us. So what is our aim? As a church, our aim is to make disciples who love and live like Jesus. We want to be a body who takes this seriously. We want to all collectively encourage one another on this pursuit. We are inviting you to be a part of that. And God is inviting you to be a part of that. And the beauty of this thing is what we can share with you. The more you pursue being transformed and the more you invest yourself in helping others in that process, you are going to experience the the, the beauty and the vastness that God desires for you to experience in your life. The key to abundant life is not in living for yourself, but it is ultimately in aiming our lives at the thing that Jesus said, this is what I'm aiming at for you. I want to make you into something great that I see in you. 
I want to make you be all that you can be through the power of the Spirit in your life. Will you join us on this adventure? We long for you to be a part of this process. We want to grow together with you, and we would love for you to encourage others in this church to grow in this pursuit of being transformed in our thinking, in our desires, and in our obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us this church family to walk alongside with. We thank you, God, for the joys and the, the celebrations that we get to have as we watch people in this church being transformed by you. God, we thank you so much for those in this body who are, who are giving of themselves and serving others and investing their lives in others and helping others in this process. We thank you for the struggles of that, the hardships of that, and the lessons you teach us along the way. And Father, I pray that you would encourage those out there maybe who feel a little nervous about this. They feel uh, overwhelmed by the thought of, of seeking that type of relationship that could bring this transformation. God, I pray you would calm their hearts. I pray that you would help them see other people in this church who love them with a pure heart and desire for them to experience all that you would have for them. Father, may you, even in this year ahead, may you grow relationships. May you give us more confidence to bring your word into our relationships so that we can see you transform the lives of those around us. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this work, and may you continue to do your work here in this church and in these people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.